Mitch. At a few of you broke out into a cold sweat, didn't you? You haven't quite recovered from those days at university. Um, well, as you can tell, today's reading is a bit of a lesson in human anatomy. Uh, and in fact, Paul's going to use human anatomy to teach us something about the anatomy of the church. So um, it's obvious why Stephen isn't preaching today. He uh, started into this passage and felt overwhelmed uh, by all this anatomy and felt this required someone with a little bit of expertise in the area. So that's me. And to help you today, I'd like to present you with a teaching aid. Now, I find this a very helpful aid when I have medical students sitting with me and we've got to try and put uh, human form and human function together. Um, so can I introduce you to Mr. Potato Head? Now, he, he's absolutely perfect for the current generation of medical students because they all grew up with the Toy Story movies. Has anyone not seen the Toy Story movies? We'll have to fix that this week. Um, and, and I find with a little bit of practice, most of them are able to get this concept uh, down. Um, and in fact, if Mr. Potato Head had have been around in the first century... Paul would have absolutely used him as an illustration in this text. So, for example, uh, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Brilliant, isn't it? Well, I'm being a little bit ridiculous here, of course, but then uh, so is Paul. Uh, he, he you, you know, because of course we all know that ears don't engage in critical thinking and uh, eyes don't speak. In fact, he's having a bit of a poke at the Corinthians. He's taking the mickey out of them, and he's taking the mickey out of their idea of what spiritual gifts are all about. Um, throughout this letter, as you might recall, as we've been returning to this over the last two or three years, um, Paul constantly finds himself at odds with these Corinthian Christians. And one of the problems is they perceive themselves to have matured beyond Paul and the simple gospel message he taught them in the beginning. And indeed, they're starting to find, or they seem to have found Paul's message and Paul's, message, uh, Paul's person rather simple and rather embarrassing. They think they've become more sophisticated, more knowing, and in fact more spiritual than Paul himself. And so at every step through this letter, Paul's been arguing um, that their vaunted knowledge and their conspicuous wisdom isn't in fact evidence that they have moved forward in Christian maturity, but in fact it's evidence that they have lapsed backwards into the ignorance and the foolishness of their pagan past. And so while they think they have grown up and gone on to solid food, Paul tells them, you're still babies and you haven't moved on from mother's milk. And the same issue pertains when it comes to the subject of worship, which is uh, what we've been dealing with in these uh, four chapters we're doing. And the specific issue that pops up in this section of the letter um, is their eagerness for praying in tongues, what they think to be praying in the language of angels, which they think is evidence of superior spirituality. Now, uh, as we'll see as we go on, Paul is all for praying in tongues, just as he is all for all of the manifestations of the Spirit in their life together. But his problem is that their practice of this gift, and, and perhaps the gifts in general, is, is that when they meet together, 
they are no longer using the gifts to encourage each other. They're using the gifts to enhance their own individual worship experiences. And so they're starting to fail the basic test of love one another. They've lapsed into a false spirituality, and that false spirituality is based on a misunderstanding of the very nature of what it means to belong to Jesus. And so the point of this passage and the point of the poke is to call them back to a mature Christian spirituality. Well, seeing as we're doing an anatomy lesson, let's get out our scalpels and let's dissect this text for a minute. Because there's four parts to his argument today. He begins with the metaphor of a body. Just as a body has many parts and all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by or in or with one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, the, the whole point of this metaphor is that a body is a complex living organism. If you chop a body up into bits, you don't have a collection of useful parts. You have a corpse. And so all the different manifestations of the spirit that Paul has started discussing up to this point all find their significance in the fact that they belong in a connected and living body. And the fact is that the different gifts and manifestations that they are experiencing are evidence of the one Holy Spirit working them into one body. He is what joins them together into a living organism. And as serious scholars of Paul's letter will tell you, um, his definition of being a Christian is not that you, have, uh, that you hold to a certain creed that you have in common, that you, uh, you have a certain statement of faith that you share in common, that you do a certain set of practices in common. What defines a Christian is that you have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9, he says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That is what it means to be baptized in or with or by the Spirit. The Spirit is the common element. And manifestations of the Spirit are not in fact a sign that certain Christians have graduated onto a higher plane of spirituality than other Christians. In fact, they're incidental reminders that all Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who is, as Paul will remind them, as he goes on into his second letter, this Spirit is the down payment, the guarantee, the first instalment that you have of what it is you're hoping, what it is that is yet to come. Well, so far, Paul's uh, definition of the body. And now we need our helpful uh, anatomy teaching aid again, Mr. Potato Head. So in the next section, Paul will say, although there is one body, it is in fact made up of many parts. However, no part should say that it does not belong because it feels inferior to the other parts. Because, and here's the really important statement, God has placed the parts in the body, each and every one of them, just as he 
wanted them to be. Conversely, in the next section he'll say, although there are many parts, there's still only one body. And so no part is superior and can turn around and say to another part, I don't need you. Rather, the parts we think that are unimportant, mundane, unattractive, inconvenient, embarrassing even, they belong. And again, here's the important statement, because God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And someone needs to get me a bigger pair of ears. (laughs) Finally, in the fourth part, Paul draws this illustration together and brings it to the situation at hand, a dispute about the manifestations or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ and members part by part. He affirms, again, the unity of the body and he affirms each of us as parts which belong to the body and then he sets about showing that God has put the body together. And this is where he starts to upset the Corinthians' idea of an ideal Christian community. Back in verse 7, he began with a list of gifts and on, that top, on top of that list, he put two gifts that were surely dear to the Corinthians' hearts. What they treasured most, words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Now you might recall, Paul has spent a lot of time in the earlier part of the letter deconstructing um, the Corinthians' very Greek love of wisdom. They've come to think themselves very wise and sophisticated. We get the English word sophisticated from the Greek word for wise, from sophos. And, And they're in fact feeling embarrassed by Paul's lack of sophistication. Because by his own admission, he's not a very exciting speaker to listen to. And when he speaks, he uses very simple terms to explain things. And the way he lived was an embarrassment to them. He didn't live like a wise sage ought to. He went out and got a job. He insisted while he was with the Corinthians that he would earn his own money and pay his own way as a tradie. And so when it comes down to it, They're not only embarrassed by Paul, they're embarrassed by his gospel. This message about a dead Jewish rabbi on a Roman cross is not a very sexy sell in their culture. And so from Paul's anatomy lesson then, we learn a number of things that they need to know and that we need to know as well. In the body of Christ, first of all, Paul gives priority to God's word, God's speaking over everything else. The three gifts he goes on to place at the top of his list of gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, all have to do with the expression of God's word in the community. And he says something very similar when he writes to the Ephesians. He puts apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers on the top of his list as the people who are given to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. We find in Jesus' ministry that he gave priority to his work of teaching the kingdom 
and preaching the kingdom over the work of healing the sick and driving out demons. Now, healing and driving out demons weren't incidental and they weren't unimportant, but they served the purpose of preaching the word. So for Paul, the church is a corpus, that's Latin for a living body, and not a corpse, which is English, for a dead body. Because if the church is a living thing, then what animates it is God's word. When John, the Apostle John introduces to us Jesus, he starts with the words, in the beginning was the word. A very intentional echo of Genesis 1, where each act of life-giving creation follows on from what statement? And God said. Jesus is the expression of God's word. So John will go on to say in his introduction, the law came through Moses, that is the law was spoken through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The body of Christ is animated by the word of Christ. And so, in the body, the second point, Paul gives priority to God's work over our work. Those important statements we highlighted. God places each part in the body just where and how he desires it best. Verse 18. God unites those parts together, giving greater honour to the parts that lack it. Verse 24, God determines the importance of the various gifts and ministries and manifestations that are bestowed. Verse 28, from beginning to end, the body is defined by the work of the Trinity. God the Spirit, who manifests gifts among us. God the Son, in whose service these gifts are used. God the Father, who is at work through those gifts. What we find is our work has nothing much to do with it. Uh, Neither our our talents or our intelligence, our energy, our determination, our our organisation, none of these things are central. None of them are decisive to what God is doing amongst his people. And that brings us to a third point. In the body of Christ... Paul gives priority to persons over giftings. In this body, people count, not their giftings, not their abilities, not their role, not their accomplishments, not even the task at hand, not the project, not even the vision or the mission. Because God has composed the body of persons who matter, not an agenda of jobs that matter. Because his primary work is all about gathering us into personal relationship with himself. God in Christ reaches out to reconcile us to himself. Love is the absolute foundation of God's work in all its various forms. And therefore, people matter more than giftings. And so, fourth and finally, in the body of Christ... Paul gives priority over our concern for each other above our concern for ourselves. Having reconciled us to himself, God has created us as a people who are also reconciled to one another. And this is where the Corinthians are becoming unstuck. They have a faulty view of what the body actually is. 
And they've lost sight of the fact that what we have in Christ is something that the world, in all its sophistication, lacks and is hungry for. You know, in Australian society, a very post-Christian society, we still value, uh, very much cherish uh, what we call the golden rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Though, as much as we talk about that, the way we live as a society um, shows that we actually value loving ourselves more than we value loving our neighbour. And we kid ourselves by saying that, well, you have to learn to love yourself. When you can love yourself well enough, then you'll be able to love your neighbour. But it's simply not true, is it? It doesn't take a big examination of our society to see um, that, that we are possibly the most narcissistic group of people in the whole uh, history of the human race. We have anxiety and depression at epidemic proportions in our culture because we are a culture intensely focused on ourselves and focused on our individuality. You know, we're, we're trained from an early age to view ourselves as the centre of everything that's going on around us, the centre of the universe. Uh, we are trained from an early age to value our autonomy and our independence above everything. And so, as a culture, we value the autonomous, self-resourceful person much more than we value the village. And the very way our cities are built, the modern villages we live in is a testimony to that because we really live in our locality as a loose collection of people. I might reside over here, but in fact, I usually work over there. And I might work over there, but I actually shop over there. And I shop over there, but I play over there. And then on Sunday, I go to church over there. And the people I live with very often are quite incidental to all of those things. I don't need them. I have nothing to do with them. And I might think that the internet is the thing that's helping me participate in the great global village, but in fact the internet is really only another way for me to maintain my autonomy and keep my distance from other people. So can you see how the metaphor of a body is exactly the opposite of that? body is exactly the right image for thinking about the nature of a Christian community as something that is connected and organic, and living. And so Paul's anatomy lesson has unpacked two basic things. As an individual part, you are loved. You are valued by God. Each of the body parts is prized by him. Each and every one of us is baptized in, or with, or by the Holy Spirit, and gifted in some way at some time. At the same time, as individual body parts, we don't exist except as Parts in a body. In Christ, you find not only your personal identity now, in Christ you are given an identity as a member of the community. And you know, people are really actually very hungry for this. Identity politics is driving a lot of our public discussion now because people are, are on a quest to find their tribe their village, the place they belong and where they have a common identity with other people. And, and the list of things that people are using uh, is long. You know it well. People are, are, are hunting for their tribe based on uh, various gender issues, based around their race, based around their nationality. Um, you, you fill in the blank, but you're familiar with them, I know. Humans are forever 
huddling up into little groups to find where they belong. And so in the body of Christ, we find ourselves in the true village. So if you haven't seen Toy Story, you ought to watch it because that's what the story is about, this loose collection of mismatched toys all trying to keep the village together and, and trying to figure out whether a new toy can come in and if a new toy comes in, whether someone drops out. You know, when, when Australians affirm the golden rule, they're affirming the value of belonging to a village. And here's what we have as believers in Jesus. We're not just another village, one, one among many ways of identifying yourself. In fact, the Bible makes the claim, we are the true village. The only community where people's deep hunger for an identity and a place to belong is going to be truly satisfied. Now that's a big claim to make. How can we possibly claim to be an ultimate community? And because, you know, if you've been in the church long enough, you know that it rarely looks or feels that way that we are somehow an ultimate community. Sometimes it feels like the bowls club or the tennis club uh, is a much better community than the one you gather with on Sunday. But it's true nonetheless. It's true because the body of Christ is just that. It is Christ's body. Not simply in name, but in essence, in reality. What does our village have that makes it the authentic community? It has the indwelling presence of God the Son through God the Spirit. You know, medieval architects were very intentional in their design of cathedrals. They, they laid out the floor plan in the shape of a cross because that was a day in and day out reminder that as you gathered, to be a Christian was to be in Christ. To gather as, as a body was collectively to be a people in Christ, to be a membered people, not a dismembered people. We are put together in him. We celebrate this fact every time we have the Eucharist. That's one of the things that Paul pointed out to the Corinthians a couple of chapters ago. He said, is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body because we all partake of the one loaf. In this body, all the ideologies and identities that we use as humans to separate ourselves from one another, Paul says, are now done away with. All the cultural and racial distinctions are no longer valid. So he says Jews and Gentile are brought together. All the economic and social distinctions that we separate ourselves with are abolished. And so he says there's no slave or free people in this community anymore. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. 
Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you this morning in our gathering together that what goes on in this place is evidence of your work. We praise you, God the Father, that you have not rested but sent out your word to draw us in. We praise you, God the Son, that you have died in our place, that we might come into your place and become members of the family of God, citizens of a kingdom, sons of the Father. We praise you, God the Spirit, that you indwell us. May, may your work be evident in this place, as we learn what it is to love one another. May it be evident not just to ourselves, but may it be evident to all who casually pass by that door. May it be evident to those we interact with week by week. May the word of Jesus go out from us because we live the way of Jesus. Would you open up to us the great joy of this? Would you take the burdens we put on our shoulders that make the task of following you onerous and difficult, uh, guilt-laden and competitive, Lord, would you bring us again into the sweetness and the freedom of being your people. And remind us again today uh, of the great privilege we have in being your body. In Jesus' name, amen.
that you uh, are taking us and moulding us not only uh, as individuals, but as uh, one body, united by one spirit, your Holy Spirit, who you have poured out through your Son. Father, we pray that you would uh, remind us of that, help us to live it, and help us to rejoice in the unity and diversity that you have given us in the body of your Son. Amen. Please grab a seat. Uh, well, as I mentioned before, uh, we're going to spend some time uh, praying for uh, the various missionaries that they're uh, involved with. Um, a good reminder uh, this morning, having heard uh, from Mike and Kirsty for instance, that uh, although they may be on the other side of the world, we are united together as one church. And we can uh, encourage and spur them on uh, as they do the same with us for the ministry of the gospel. So I'm going to kick us off uh, and then I'll leave some time for you to jump in and pray out loud. So uh, please pray loud and clearly so that the rest of us can say a hearty amen to what we are praying. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we, your people, are one body in the Lord Jesus by your spirit. We thank you that we get to share in the, the ministry proclaiming the good news of the gospel uh, all across the world uh, because we know that on the last day we will stand around your throne and the throne of your lamb and as one people, one body in every nation and tribe, people and tongue. We praise you, the Lord Jesus, and you for all that you have done.
Father, we do thank you uh, again for uh, being united as brothers and sisters in this one body of of one spirit. And uh, we pray that you would uh, bless not only us here today, but uh, those who have uh, gone out from us and gone abroad uh, overseas. Father, we uh, do pray that you would hear our prayers, that you would sustain them, that you would bless their ministry, that you would pour out your spirit on those who are sick here, uh, that your body uh, might grow in number and diversity, uh, even as we grow in our unity in the faith. Father, we pray for uh, those of us uh, here today or connected with us who are unwell here. Father, we pray that you would strengthen them in the midst of their illness and distress. Please help them to fix their eyes on you. And we pray that uh, those of us who know them, that you would be able to care for them and support them in physical ways and in spiritual ways. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. We're going to sing again soon, uh, but if you do have uh, anything that you would like prayer for, please hang around afterwards. Some of us will be around later. But uh, for now, why don't we stand and sing?
brings us to the end of our service this morning. Uh, please join us for tea and coffee out in the hall. Uh, if you're watching at home, this is your chance to put on the kettle and have a cup of tea. Uh, we are with you in spirit, if not in body. Uh, and if you've written a letter to a missionary, please uh, just leave the pens and paper on the 